9. Of course, I didn't want to die. However, I'm not sure whether me wanting to die or not had anything directly to do with why I didn't die. All I know is that one minute I was lying naked in a forest, seemingly about to die after being shot by a Scottish man with a shotgun, and the next I was opening my eyes and I was once again breathing in fresh air. I was still in pain, as you would imagine, considering I had been shot with a rifle, but I was not in as much pain as I had been. And upon closer inspection of my abdomen, it appeared that someone had treated my wound and had tightly wrapped a white bandage around my midsection, which made it considerably hard to move. I appeared to be lying on a sofa, in a house or a cottage, and I believed that I could smell coffee as well as the unmistakable aroma of bacon cooking in a frying pan. I tried to get up from the sofa on which I was lying, but every time I tried to move, even slightly, in any direction, the intense pain returned and made me think twice about moving ever again. Then I heard footsteps upon the wooden floor of whatever wooden structure I was now within, and moments later I saw the face of a man who I didn't recognise staring back at me. I'd stay there as long as you can, if I was you, sweetheart, said the man with the English accent, who had appeared to have more lines on his face than there were waves upon the ocean, and who, like I said, I didn't immediately recognise. However, there was something familiar about him, somehow. Something in his voice, something in his eyes, something in his demeanour that made me feel as if I knew him somehow, from somewhere. Who, who, I tried to reply, but with every attempt to ask the man who he was, like before, I once again felt like I had a rhino sitting upon my chest, making it hard for me to breathe, much less talk. Save your strength, sweetheart. You are, you are lucky to be alive. You are so lucky that we, I mean, you are so lucky that my wife, that she, that she sensed you were near. If not, then who knows what might have happened, and we could not believe it when we did eventually find you, after you had been shot by those Scottish farmers, and we knew immediately. I mean, we feared that you might not, that you might not come back, but, but, and most likely because of the wolf within you, not to mention my expert cauterizing and dressing of your wound, here you are, said the old man with a smile that accentuated his already well-lined face. In all honesty, at this moment I couldn't even remember my own name without first second-guessing myself, but as soon as I heard the man say the wolf, I immediately realised that this man knew both who and what I was. However, the question was, how? Did the Scottish men tell him what they had seen, essentially me transforming from a wolf into a human woman? Had he too been nearby and had also witnessed my transformation, or was there another explanation? When I looked to my left and down at my arm, I noticed that I appeared to have a plastic tube inserted into my left wrist, which appeared to be connected to some kind of intravenous drip, the like of which you might expect a patient in a hospital to be hooked up to while undertaking some kind of treatment. I had no idea what was in the clear bag of the intravenous drip that was hooked to the metal pole near to where I was lying on the sofa, the contents of which were now coursing through my bloodstream. And to be honest, at that moment, I didn't care. 
because at that moment I was still incredibly disorientated. However, that didn't stop me from wondering who this man who was helping me was. And at the time, I was also intrigued to know how I got to be where I now was. Then I heard what sounded like a heavy wooden door open and then shut again. And several moments later, the face of the man with the well-lined face was replaced by the face of a woman who, though older in appearance, looked like, well, looked just like me the last time I had seen myself in the mirror. The likeness between us was uncanny, as was her smile, which looked exactly like my smile when I did smile. Hello, Olivia, said the familiar-looking woman with a smile as she looked longingly into my eyes. That face, that smile, those eyes, that voice. Not only did this woman look like me, but she sounded just like me. What the hell is going on here? I asked myself. Is this couple an aunt and an uncle that I never had seen before, or what? The woman smiled even wider, before she slowly leaned into the left-hand side of my face, and in a whisper she said, What's the matter, Olivia? Surely you recognise the face of your own mother. It was at this moment that I instantly felt a shiver run down my spine. The same feeling as people describe as if someone has walked over their grave. And the more that I looked at the face of the smiling woman in front of me, I, I knew, I knew that what she was telling me was the truth. Somehow, she was my mother. But another truth also came to mind. I already had a mother and a father who was still very much alive and living on the south coast of England and who I had grown up calling and believing were my parents in every sense of the word. I couldn't speak. I couldn't move. Both because of the pain that was still there, but also because of the state of shock that I was in. However, even if I could have said something or done something, I wouldn't have known exactly what to say, nor what to do. Luckily for me, the woman who looked like me appeared to enjoy talking, so after a few short moments during which she and I caught our breath, she took a seat on the side chair near to the sofa I was lying on. She looked at me in the eye, she leaned forwards, and then she started to talk to me as if she were speaking to me with my own voice, and as if by magic. I immediately felt at ease. Right now, you're probably thinking, Excuse me? What did you just say? You're my mother? What? This is insane. There is no way that you can be my mother because I already have a mother and a father back home. Right? And you would be correct about all those things, from a certain point of view. But the thing is, even though the parents who raised you are and will always be your parents. They are not, and they will never be your biological parents, because, well, we are. I am your biological mother, and Terry over there, the one with all the lines on his face, is your biological father. And we, like you, are werewolves. And yes, we know that you are a werewolf. In fact, we, well, I was the one who sensed you. I just, I just, I just knew that, that it was you, our daughter. Even after all these years, I knew it was you, Olivia. 
explained the woman, who looked like a slightly aged version of myself, as tears began to fall from her eyes. Oh, and if you were wondering, my name is Olivia too. Olivia Melissa Gould. We both have the same name. What are the chances, huh? My name is Olivia. Your name is Olivia. My middle name is Melissa. Your daughter's name is Melissa. Is it not? The Gould family name comes from him over there. But yeah, we have the same name. You've got to love coincidences, huh? But in truth, you were called Olivia because that is what I named you after you were born. Before we... Before we... Before we put you up for adoption, said Terry, the man with the many lines on his face, who, according to this woman, who looked to be the near mirror image of me, was my biological father. Which was one of the hardest things that we have ever had to do, Terry explained, as he once again got close enough for me to see his face fully. Olivia, the woman who looked more and more like me with every passing moment that we stared at one another, looked completely overcome with emotion, and the flood of tears coming from her eyes indicated that this moment was just as overwhelming to her as it was to me. And when she finally put her right hand upon my left hand, while trying to not accidentally pull out the plastic tube from my wrist, I could feel in her tender touch that we both shared something indescribable, something genetic, something spiritual, something that made me want to burst into tears also. It was and it is the hardest thing that any parent can ever comprehend doing, giving up a child. But at the time that we put you up for adoption, we, we, we didn't see any other way of keeping you safe, explained Olivia, obviously in a state of emotional pain as she recalled the events that preceded her and Terry giving me up for adoption as she periodically looked over her shoulder to her husband. Exactly. You see, when we were expecting you, we we were being hunted. We were being drawn out into the open by by someone by someone who we now hope is dead and buried somewhere. Someone who made it her life's mission to find and kill any and every supernatural being that she could identify. Someone who we were once led to believe was a friend but who we ultimately found out was a hunter of our kind. And when we realised who and what she really was, we knew that we had to put your needs before our own, explained Terry, my biological father, who had the same name as my late ex-boyfriend, who I had to bury and who I mourned for for months, who I never got the opportunity to tell them who and what I really am. And from what I interpreted from what I was hearing, it appeared that I was always born to be who and what I am. A werewolf. Ever since I was 16 years old, I had always believed that I had been cursed and transformed by the kiss of Tala. And now, finally, I find out that more accurately, actually, I was always biologically and genetically predetermined to be a werewolf because my biological parents were, are, werewolves. Talk about throwing a spanner in the works into how I perceive myself and my life. 
At that moment, I felt like my entire life had been one big lie. Because not once did I ever have any kind of an inkling that I was not the child of the mother and father who raised me. But in retrospect, perhaps my decision to not reveal who and what I was to my parents had been a subconscious decision on my part. Because deep down, I knew that they could never and would never be able to accept me for who and what I am. Because they were not my real parents. But they were. They are. Why? Because no matter how secretive I'd been for most of my life, even the fact that I went missing for 10 years without a trace and without making contact with them, when I finally did come home, they welcomed me back with open arms and they told me that they loved me. Now that is true love. I know that it must be a lot to take in, Livia, but I just want you to know that even after all these years, your father and I are here for you for whatever you need. Anything. But first and foremost, I would say what has to be our collective top priority is getting you back on your feet. Right? Said Olivia, my biological mother, with a smile as she rose to her feet, which I am sure she hoped would in some way make me feel better about the situation and the new reality in the form of the fact of life that had recently been presented to me. Unfortunately, Olivia's smile did not help in softening the blow in regard to the shock to the system that I was experiencing at that moment in time, because, quite frankly, I was stunned in every sense of the word. And I also had a million and one questions racing through my brain, but no way to filter my thoughts and convert them into cogent words that could be uttered verbally. But I knew that if I did not want to say anything at all at that moment, then I would regret missing a vital moment to do so. So, while I had both Terry and Olivia's undivided attention, oh the irony, I decided to ask them both the questions that seemed to be the ones easily accessible and somewhat floating upon the surface of my consciousness. Why? Why now? Why? Why did it take so, so long to, to find me? Why? Why didn't you contact me sooner? And how, how did you know that my daughter's name is Melissa? I asked, though noticeably struggling to speak as easily verbally as I felt able to internally. Olivia and Terry appeared to give each other somewhat of a nervous look before Terry stepped forwards and put his left hand upon his wife's right shoulder and he said Because this, today, today was the first time since he gave you up for adoption that we ever, since your mother ever sensed you were near Because up until today neither I nor your mother ever believed that we would be lucky enough to ever see you or meet you again In fact, we had always hoped that your parents, your adoptive parents, might have told you who you really were and where you came from, and by now you might have chosen to seek us out all by yourself. But it sounds like the first you knew about your true parentage was when we told you. Am I right? But in truth, I suppose I'm not surprised. I'm sure your parents did not tell you because they were trying to protect you somehow. We might have done the same in their shoes, maybe said Terry with a reassuring smile. 
Never, said Olivia immediately, seemingly angrily. And to be honest, if I had been your adopted mother and not your real mother, I would have told you that you were adopted when you were still a child. Then I looked into Olivia's eyes and I said, Well, if you don't mind me saying, that is easy for you to say. As your husband just said, my mother. My parents probably did not tell me the truth about my parentage because they wanted to protect me. Because they wanted me to live a happy and content life, oblivious to the truth. Which I did, as a matter of fact, I replied defiantly, feeling naturally protective over my parents, adoptive or otherwise, as I tried to push myself from the sofa. And I'm sure that it wasn't an easy secret for them to harbour, to keep something so shocking from their little girl. Do you have any siblings? Other brothers and sisters that your parents may have had? asked Terry with a stern look on his face as he stood with both hands in the pockets of his trousers. No, I was, I am my parents' only child. In fact, while I was growing up, my mother used to call me their little miracle because before I came along, my parents were unable to have children. Then they had me. Then they found me, I guess. I said, as I began to become overcome with emotion while thinking about my parents. And then I started to think about my own daughter, Melissa. And once again, I felt compelled to ask Terry and Melissa how they knew about her. And my daughter, Melissa, how did you know about her? We found some of your belongings about a mile away from where we found you, which included your clothes, your rucksack, a journal, photographs of you and a woman, as well as a photo of you with a handsome-looking man. And on the back of the photograph of you and the young woman, it said, Olivia and Melissa, in what looked like a woman's handwriting. And underneath, in parentheses, it said, Mom and daughter moment. So there was that, explained Olivia with a look, and with the same no-nonsense tone of voice that I know I have been known to have exhibited over the years. Olivia smirked. I smirked, involuntarily, even though I attempted to stop myself from doing so. So, are we all friends now? asked Terry with a smile, as he looked at both Olivia and I for confirmation. For now, I replied with a smile, however, while continuing to feel the pulsating pain coming from the wound in my abdomen. 